0: As you've heard before, Trinity Sunday is the only principal feast of the church year not dedicated to a saint nor to a sacred event, but to a doctrine, which on the surface seems a bit dry. But this depends on how one understands the role of doctrine in the life of the church. Ruin Williams, the poet, theologian, and former Archbishop of Canterbury, once said that the job of doctrine is to hold us still before Jesus. The job of doctrine is to hold us still before Jesus. Over the past 17 or so centuries, battles have been fought, councils have been he- held, um, I think there was one early council in either the 4th or 5th century where there was a fist fight between two bishops over the Trinity. I'm not making that up. And controversies have emerged over the linguistic and doctrinal spider web that is the Holy Trinity. And you are aware that how a spider web often operates. We don't realize it's there until we've walked into it. And it often isn't until the dust settles or the incense settles and we've ceased from flailing our hands and our bodies all over the place that we are able to appreciate the beauty and precision of that pesky web. Speaking of pesky, unanticipated webs, we are confronted by the reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah in which the prophet encounters the living God in a mystical ritual experience the reading opens with Isaiah recounting a vision in which he sees God high and lofty in the temple, with God's splendor causing the edifice to tremble and smoke to fill the place. Flanking God on all sides are the strange creatures the narrator calls seraphs, each covered by six wings. Not just two wings, like many of our Christian depictions of angels. Two wings covering their faces, two wings covering their feet, and two wings enabling them to fly. Isaiah, overwhelmed by the sight of it all, says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. For Isaiah, doctrine only comes after mystery, which precedes awe. Doctrine is the articulation of an an encounter with the living God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the thing which holds us still before Jesus. The earliest Christians wrestled for centuries about the precise way to articulate their awe in the presence of a mystifying God. St. Paul, whose life was derailed by Jesus on a trek to Damascus, articulated the mysterious God like this in his second letter to the church at Corinth. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If we were in the South, he'd say y'all. No, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity was not in its most robust form at that point in history, but it was trending in that direction. And Paul reflected in wise ways about the circular form of grace, love, and communion as he had experienced it in God. In Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In some way, he hoped that his fledgling communities would, like him, come to be enfolded in a sort of divine dance between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, a desire that the other early Christian theologians and pastors shared with him the desire to see mystery and awe birth a new dimension of humanity and belovedness inside, through and between human beings. It is as if they didn't realize that they were wrapped in the web until it was all over their faces and in their hair and around their ears. That presence, that dance, that circle that reality undergirding and permeating all things. Again, the purpose of doctrine is to hold us still before Jesus, causing us not to tear one another apart because of differences in opinion, but to offer our whole lives in prayer and attentiveness before God and one another. And the same can be said of any mystical experience. Moments in which we are stopped in our tracks and are left with only one option. To be still and know that God is God and we are not. Oftentimes when Christians begin parsing the particulars of a historic church doctrine, we get frustrated and say things like, mystery is mystery and is not to be probed, picked apart, or understood. And that is all well and good. But just because something is a mystery of our faith does not mean it must remain off-topic if something's been discussed and argued about for 17 centuries, it's probably worth our attention. Especially a doctrine as complex, fraught, and ancient as the Holy Trinity. If anything, the purpose of the mysteries of Christian faith is not necessarily for us to probe them as much as it is for them to probe us. To stand still before Jesus is to be vulnerable enough to be caught up in the joy and beauty of the Trinity's life, dancing with abandon, with the God of love, open to the possibility of mistakes and missteps. Daniel Stramara describes the Trinity's dynamism in this way, quote, the three are intimately interconnected. Thus, the three together form one circle of glorious divinity. Their relationships are not static, but revolve around one another. The glory, the loving praise which they share and bestow upon one another is a wheeling around, a whirling about, a making dizzy. End quote. And I fulfilled my mission with the sermon if you're dizzy by the end. Therefore, when we baptize someone in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, or when we solemnize a marriage between a couple in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, or when we bless the people of God at a Eucharist like this one in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we are inviting them, we are inviting ourselves into the Trinity's dizzying dance. We are saying that the Trinity's work of interpenetration, the Son's presence in the Father, the Father's presence in the Spirit, the Spirit's presence in the Son, is constantly inviting us to take part, disabusing us of the idea that the Trinity is some dusty doctrine irrelevant to our contemporary needs. Wherever there is love, the Trinity's blessing is already there. Wherever there is a falling over and in to one another, the Trinity's blessing is already there. In the sacraments, anywhere where the whirling dervishes of love is happening, there the Trinity is present and consistent with God's nature of love is God's desire and God's initiative to include humanity and all creation in this circle. God is not selfish. God's joy, God's beauty, God's truth are all contagious and for us as well. The scholar I quoted earlier goes on to say this, quote, not only is the Trinitarian glory encyclical, it is likewise anacyclical. I had to have a dictionary next to me all this week studying for this sermon. <laughs> so not only is the Trinitarian glory encyclical, it is likewise anacyclical, resumptively encompassing. Resumptively encompassing. Encompassing. What a great way to say that. That the dynamism of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit cannot be kept to itself, but becomes ours as we are held still before Jesus. Seeing our relationships, our communities, our jobs, and our churches in light of the triune God. In light of God's self-donation, self-offering deference and self-differentiation, it forces us to wonder what could be possible if leaders in literature, politics, medicine, healthcare and other sectors caught this vision, how art would be different how our households and networks might be transformed if the Trinity's life became our model. How our quality of life, quality of policies, quality of organization might be enhanced, our lives might be enhanced if we took the Trinity as our dance partner.